Hello, and welcome to the Urology COVID Lecture Series Podcast, brought to you by the UCSF Department of Urology. In today's episode, we have Dr. Paolo Romo from Michigan Medicine talking about urinary fistula. Welcome you all. Um, thank you for um, this opportunity. So we'll try to cover as much as we can possibly can about genitourinary fistulas. Um, I have no relevant disclosures. Um, well, uh, we'll start going over the definition, going a little bit over the etiology. Uh, I do, um, you know, benign cases, and this is something that, of course, there could be the malignancy behind. But uh, you know, when it comes down to quality of life, this is when, uh, you know, yeah, you can follow an algorithm, but it's going, it's always going to come down to what is the most important uh, aspect for the patient, individualize your patient. And I, you know, I wish we can find an algorithm that is going to fit them all, but, but it doesn't. Uh, and that's why, you know, etiology and classifications is very, very important because we can talk about, you know, I'll show you different examples and I'll try to cover the, the, the one that probably you're mostly interested in vaginal fistulas. And, um, then going over, you know, I'll, I have a good case. First off, when I started, uh, you know, my first morbidity, um, no mortality was a, a basic vaginal fistula. So I'll present you one of those cases. Uh, we'll go over diagnosis, evaluation, the, you know, double dye test. Um, everybody's like, where am I supposed to put the blue dye? She's supposed to take the peridium. Well, we'll talk about those little things, how useful, how useful it is. And then go over management. Um, so without further ado, um, yeah, right. So there's a lot in there. Um, how are you going to cover all this? Well, believe me, it's possible. There's no guidelines. Um, when I look at, um, conferences and slides is like, okay, I think I have the pearls here, but where are the pearls coming from? And there's a, a lot of, uh, um, literature that we can quote when it comes down to topics like this one, there are serious uh, cases. Uh, there's no randomized control data. There's never going to be some uh, level one. So there's a lot of experience behind, and you can look at what others with more experience than me have done. Um, so the uh, Campbell covers this very well. Uh, as you can see, there is almost 40 pages. Uh, if you look at everything and you want to put it into Word, it's probably 100 pages. Um, yeah, there's a lot of pictures, but it's a lot. Um, the AUA core curriculum, I hope you guys are already familiar with it. They're doing a fantastic job. I just took my boards and uh, you actually can uh, paste off <laughs> your boards. I mean, I did. I don't know if that's going to work, but it used to be readers. Uh, the AUA curriculums, I have to give it for them. Uh, everybody is being very updated, updating these uh, topics. And the, the one on the urinary fistulas is very concise. Um, there's even videos. Um, Hinman's still my go-to book. And of course, once you've seen uh, uh, a few, uh, then uh, you still need to um, do a better job trying to take pictures and, um, and you'll see some, but um, please refer to this. I think there's uh, every so often a new uh, version comes in. It doesn't matter what version you have. Uh, they do a very good job in terms of pictures and describing flaps and dissections and, uh, and, and technique. All right, so with the definition, 
as you can see here, the most important part, where is the fascia line? It's a communication between two organs. Um, you know, there's, there's a different lining, uh, different cavities. Well, there's urine coming out, the urologist, where it's not supposed to. It's either going to be through the skin, it's going to be through the vagina, it's going to be actually a path of left resistance. So it may be a stool coming into the urinary tract or blood. So uh, the most important part, you know, it's the urogynecologic fistulas because these are the ones you're going to see the most. I hope uh, none of you, but of course in residency, you hope and you will see urovascular fistulas. Urenteric are less common. Uh, they'll be referred to you and, and then your due diligence is to sometimes make the diagnosis, just refer to colorectal. In terms of other fistulas, well, if somebody's doing a PCNL, it's hard not to um, find a uh, nephropleural, <laughs> nephrobronchial. Uh, these things, unless somebody is very, um, has history of radiation or a very specific patient that is not going to have this complication after the PCNL or, or, or whatever procedure we're doing up there. Um, this one are the, uh, you know, the, um, the common ones are people spank or injury or spend a lot of time in the cubitus and they'll come up with either a vesica cutaneous, urethra cutaneous, and, and yes, you have to um, put patient in the cubitus, examine and, and see where the urine is coming out, and then you know do the uh, do the test to see where is it. So in summary, again, focus your attention here. Uh, for ureter enteric, it's probably gonna be a sigmoid over the bladder. You'll refer to colorectal, uh, likely diverticular disease or malignancy. The ones that we're gonna focus is rectourethral. Um, usually, there's either radiation for prostate cancer, colorectal cancer on a male. Um, uh, here, again, our neurogenic patient or somebody who's um, paraplegic or quadriplegic. And for a urovascular, they're not common at all. But if they are, of course, you know, it's a typical patient who's already had a diversion, comes with a stoma full of blood, or they're urinating, uh, but they will describe to you tomato juice. Uh, Easier uh, classification for me, you can take it like this, childbirth, post-op, congenital, malignant, inflammation, you know, um, again, the ones from childbirth, C-section is here, urine rupture, these are the, these are the, um, the ones you're going to see the most. Foreign body, uh, without, you know, I don't want to forget about foreign body. Uh, neglected pessaries, IUDs, well, these things do happen, okay? So for clinical presentation, you're always going to look at the uh, at the book and, you know, sub-Saharan, well, here as postpartum, our vast, vast majority, they will cover the trigon, the proximal urethra. Um, some will be very, very challenging. The reconstruction urologists here, there are not many. There's only a few to cover uh, this population. Um, it's something we don't see here in the States, but every time you have an opportunity to make a mission, please do. Um, there's a lot of need. In the US, the vast majority, 80% will be vascular vaginal fistula after a benign hysterectomy, believe it or not. Um, onc comes down to 5% only, same with radiation. Pro, you know, yes, they're the ones that you see the most perhaps, but, but it's not the common. So if someone asks you, okay, vascular vaginal fistula is from um, benign hysterectomy. So how are they gonna present? Well. Pick your poison. Uh, we are responsible too. I hope you never get to see this. Um, yeah, TURBT went wrong here. Uh, this patient is not going to show up with leakage. It may be febrile, 
peritonitis, as you can see, there's fluid all over the place. Um, here's where a picture says it all, right? Where is it coming from? Well, you need a cystogram with a history of a TRBT. Well, I'm sure the, the, the right thing to do is a cystogram, but uh, he needs an X-lab, okay, um, if he has peritonitis. Other patients, well, this is what we do every day. I don't, but, you know, robotic uh, assisted laparoscopic prostatectomy. Um, his patient, uh, unfortunately, got a colostomy. There was uh, an injury, and uh, they did everything by the book. There was no even history of radiation. Um, unfortunately, uh, 10 days after, he starts passing urine uh, from the bottom, and yes, he has a right to utrophus. So. Other type of presentation, uh, female patient shows with pelvic pain, uh, total urine leakage with stool per vagina. This patient has a history of uh, chronic radiation, significant surgery and re-implants, both sides. Uh, she was deemed non-operable. She was managed for over a decade with an NUS. And yes, after you know long time chronic, I, I guess no one thought she would live that long, but that was her only option. She was keeping, she was keeping getting these NUSs up and down. As you can see here, there's kind of a cloaca. This is the bladder, the vagina, and you know, the stigma coming down to the rectum and everything is here together. I don't have a picture, unfortunately, but believe me, it was, uh, you put the scope into the urethra, you were looking into the rectum through the vagina. Uh, the NUS was coming far down. You cannot appreciate very well here, but bladder, rectum. Here's again when you know a picture says it all. And when we're going to talk about repair, well, what kind of repair can you do for this? We attempted an exploratory laparotomy with general surgery, colorectal. Um, unfortunately, I was not even able to tie it off the uh, the ureter. She got PCNs. Um, they tried to divert her. They were able to divert her. I was not. Um, I was able to occlude the ureters and she lives with nephrostomy tubes. Uh, this other patient has gross hematuria. Again, typical case, someone says, hey, I've had tomato juice coming down. Um, depending on the age, if they're young, think about a stone. If they're elderly, think about cancer. But tomato juice is something that you either did kidney surgery or any GU surgery. Usually people, even with stones, they're not gonna have this type of uh, thickness, uh, gross hematuria, severe. Uh, they even say dizziness. And she has a history of orthofem bypass. Um, not very evident here, but I didn't put all the images. Uh, but you can see there's, uh, there was, there is hydro I'm not showing you, but there's a dilated ureter that it comes on the, um, uh, excretory phase right off uh, the iliac and uh, the, the the bypass and then it's you don't see it um me here so this is an obstruction uh, it's always you always have to look at these cases when they refer to you to for hydro uh, yes there's an obstruction is there anything else am i thinking here there could be a fistula well if they are passing gross immaturia the fistula is there um uh, the case, patient will present with the burning pain, chronic pain, recurrent UTIs, you can even say IC. Um, here is a case where going to history, hysterectomy, pop repair, it could be transvaginal mesh. Uh, 
I still saw them. I don't think you guys are going to see this in practice. We're no longer doing transvaginal mass. The gynecologists are no longer doing transvaginal mass. Bacrocopovexy will do that to you. And, uh, and yes, we still have mid-urethral slings. And uh, in some cases, they will wrap the uh, mesh around the, um, the cervix and the uterus trying to do a robotic sarcopexy and, and, and trying to spare the, uh, the, the, the uterus. So you can have mesh. The, the way you're going to diagnose here, when you have someone like this, you do a cystoscopy eventually. Um, you treat her. Uh, she has persistent UTIs. You know, she's difficult to be clear. So you have to scope these patients at some point. Um, if you can see my arrow here, there's, um, there's mesh. How are you going to identify this? You can use any instrument and just knock on the stones. Uh, if it is a female patient, these are like little sand and she'll be able to pass this. Uh, there's no, you know, of course, if she's had history of sepsis before. Uh, you don't want to be doing that unless she's on a lot of antibiotics. Different patient. This is a, um, I think it was young, using his 50s, um, 10 years ago, had pelvic trauma, motor vehicle crash. He had a open uh, reduction, internal fixation. And he's been treated for the past two years with prostatitis until someone got a CT scan. The CT scan uh, shows some suspicious, but even sister runs were negative. Finally, um, she was he was referred to me. I scope him, and there was the plate uh, in the uh, right-sided anterior uh, portion of his bladder. Uh, and as we can see here, it's not very evident. There's a lot of artifact from uh, the uh, you know the plates that the orthopedic doctors will put in but you have to have an index of suspicion. Here he was lucky there was not a lot of fistulization. Uh, if there was, he would have been in the hospital with osteo and so on and so forth. We can see how the, um, it looks like a chain basically. When we went in, we, I opened and then I had the orthopedic came in, he removed the chain, left the hole and we repaired it. Um, Sometimes it's very easy. They will just refer to you as it is. Sometimes you have to make the diagnosis someone who's been, you know, treated for prostatic because this is um, not very evident. The most common one, the benign hysterectomy. It could be that they're referred to you with bilateral um, PCNs and even with a Foley, they're coming already. And they may not. They may just come in with a Foley. Uh, they may just come in with, you know, with the diaper. Um, Every, every case is going to be different. Uh, they may be sending these to you already diagnosed. That will be the vast majority again. Um, what to do next is what, you know, the interesting portion is going to be. Um, uh, we, you know, we don't have to forget. Uh, it seems to be pretty obvious. Uh, I'm giving you, I'm feeding you all the information you need. So, hey, cancer, what is the cancer? Well, you have to rule it out. If uh, there's history of uh, bladder cancer and uh, you're looking into a fistula, well, you have to rule it out. Or past history of radiation, cervical cancer, and there's a fistula there, well, it seems to be it's all atrophic, it's all contracted. Um, always be suspicious, especially if there is history of cancer, you want to take a little biopsy or have the um, gynecologist or colorectal go in and help you taking uh, biopsies. Um, in the asymptomatic spontaneous urinary leakage for vagina, uh, it could be someone who's P0, G0, um, no prior surgery, no trauma, no radiation, makes no sense. 
uh, you would think, hey, it looks pretty straightforward. I can do this uh, transvaginal. Before you do that, um, you know, make sure you uh, do uh, take a sample of the tissue, rule out cancer. Again, how they're gonna present is different. Uh, so leaving the um, urinary vascular side, you know, aside that they will have gross hematuria, uh, leaving uh, those with the enterovesical or, you know, the, the, the particular disease aside, most of these women, if we're talking about gynecology, uh, they're gonna come in with a lot of leakage. Some of them will be, um, uh, they will call it total incontinence, um, but you know, this is what you're looking at. Uh, and this is the result. They come to you and they're devastated. Again, they may have bilateral nephrostomy tubes. If they don't, well, what can I do now? Well, we, our job is to help them in every single way to try to improve the um, quality of life. Um, any other um, surgical patient, if the patient is uh, depressed and not doing well, not eating, personal problems, financial problems, well, they're not gonna do well. And um, we need healthy tissue to fix these problems. These patients, usually in the first place, some of them will be misfortune, but uh, there's a little bit more than misfortune. There's uh, radiation, there's cancer, there's multiple surgeries, age, ischemia, uh, several factors that, hey, um, you need to have every possible um, tool to help them. So if you need mental health care, a psychiatric, a PCP, uh, see them more than once to understand that their nutritional status, their mood, uh, it's optimized. You know, I cannot spend enough time here um, focusing on, yes, we made the diagnosis doc, what's next? Let's repair it, off we go, she's gonna follow up with the PA. It doesn't work like that. In theory, it should, but no, sometimes I see this patient three or four times before I am comfortable scheduling for um, surgery. Not everybody, of course. Um, some of them may be straightforward, but you really need to individualize care here and understand that you have one opportunity, take them to the OR and that's your best. And you want to do the repair and have the best possible outcome. And outcomes are good. Uh, you look at serious, they're gonna be close to the 80% or higher. Um, we cherry pick our patients, yes. The ones that you don't think you can help, um, you know, opt for um, conservative management. But again, um, depression, nutrition, uh, social aspect context, if we're talking about the cubitus ulcer, uh, well, do you wanna know more? Who's the physiatrist? Um, who's doing physical therapy? Are they walking? There's a lot that goes in here. So for diagnosis, uh, it comes down to the physical exam and your, um, you know, basically patient is gonna tell you, there's urine coming out of my skin, the scrotum, uh, there's a vaginal fistula, there's a lot of leakage. The question when you're doing the history is not so much how much leakage you have, but hey, how, how many times are you actually able to go to the bathroom, sit on the toilet and void? Patient will tell you just when I have a bowel movement or, and, and once in the morning, and there's a little bit that comes out. Why? Because they're always, always by gravity, they're always leaking. So they don't get to urinate at all. They're always, you know, it's a console dribble. It's like our prostatectomy patient 
when it doesn't do very well, that it will have uh, you know significant ISD and significant uh, you know severe stress incontinence. Uh, but this is coming from somewhere else. So do an abdominal exam, lower back and buttocks, especially for those who are paraplegic or they have function uh, limitation. Pelvic exam is key. I cannot, you know, uh, express that enough. For genitalia, rectal exam for rectal urethral, and even for some, um, you know, female patients as well. So what is the the sign? I think you all know him. Is vaginal pulling? If we're talking about vaginal fistula or urine coming from somewhere else, stool mixed with urine, or stool coming from the um, from the urinary side, pneumaturia, uh, you name it, recurrent GTI likely persistent, but you know, if you have a communication with the colon, they're not always gonna be persistent. There could be different microorganisms there. What is the goal? Well, the goal if you're in the office is actually to avoid as many interventions. So if you can do a good physical exam and perhaps do cystoscopy and just be comfortable that you have the, um, the diagnosis, well, you're done. Um, you have to localize and assess for fistula. And I put an S there. You think it's only one. Once there's a complication after hysterectomy, the risk is higher to have another complications, which could have been bleeding to begin with, a vesicle vaginal, and then you, have, you can have a ureteral or who knows what else. So um, pelvic exam, what do you assess for? Well, you know, nowadays um, it's, besides doing your gain history, you have the history of, uh, could she have cancer? Could she have cancer? It's a benign hysterectomy. Look for that path. Uh, talk with the um, gynecologist. Um, be aware, sometimes you'll be called for, um, you know, there may be uh, lawsuits behind. Uh, you're not there to try to find um, the reason. You're there to help the patient. You're not there to document this was an injury. Be aware, be careful. How do you document? Uh, it's it's you know it, it matters um sometimes resident you just go hey you're all injured that's it uh, well be careful again of the words you use uh, you have to back them up and you're not there to make any judgments you're there to help the patient make a diagnosis call it fistula uh, if you see something else call it obstruction uh stay to the facts and you'll be fine uh, same when you're doing an op note. Um, so when you're doing the pelvic exam, you're gonna see depending on the aging of the patient, but somebody after a prolapse repair, she could be 40, hopefully not 50, they can have a short vagina and that would tell you that, you know, there was bleeding, likely there's a fistula because something went wrong. When there's bleeding, things get shorter. Um, well, how's that gonna matter? Well, it matters because when you're doing a repair, the repair again, it's based on the tissue you're using. So imagine yourself when you're doing the exam, okay, I'm here to try to do a transvaginal repair. Can you do that? Well, I cannot even position the patient. The patient is so much pain. Well, if that is the case, the patient is so much pain, she has PTSD from it, stay away, do a cysto exam under anesthesia, move on. Uh, you try to do an exam, okay, that's it. But some people will go over, will go under and will allow you to do an exam and stop in the office. Some people simply don't. Somebody already has history of fever, uh, pyelonephritis. Again, uh, the office may not be, it's definitely not, not, not the right place. Um, an elderly patient or history of radiation, uh, you want to make sure that urethra, it's 
the meters is visualized. Some will be retropubic, and believe it or not, it's not going to be the common. It's not nobody's going to try to um, you know trick you, especially when you're taking your boards. But something you have to take into consideration. I've had several referrals for vesicular um, fistula, and it's not. It's simply a retropubic urethra. Kind of looks like a hypospadias prior, you know, prior vaginal surgeries, and she's having stress incontinence, sure urethra, it's retropubic, and, and she's leaking into the vagina. Um, could you see that? Yeah, you do a cystoscopy, fill up the bladder, and then you do an exam. Um, you cannot do it in the office, do it in the, uh, do it in the OR. What is the goal? Again, uh, identify the fistula, roll out ISD and, and stress incontinence. She may have both, okay? You can have a fistula, and you can also have stress incontinence. Here I'm going for could it be only a retrofibular urethra and no fistula whatsoever? Why? Because you would think that the majority of the vasoclaginal fistula, you're gonna see some erythema and you're gonna see a hole in the bladder. No, it's not. Uh, if you do, it's because it's a large defect, but sometimes these things are really small. Um, if we're talking postpartum, you will see it. These things are catastrophic. They'll be, again, proximal. Uh, if there was a prior gyne procedure with mesh, well, you will see stone mesh. You will be uh, when do you do VCUG? Again, um, if you do your pelvic exam, your sister, you found it, you don't need to do a VCUG. Um, VCUG is when, well, you're not finding anything. Uh, she actually needs to have a true contraction to, to see this. Well, then you will consider that. A double dye test, I put the, uh, the, the key portions here. Yes, it's messy. Uh, it's very difficult to perform. But it could be done quite easy. Why? Because you take the peridium and within an hour, you have the, the urine is orange, period. Um, the way you do it, you have them given the peridium, wait for an hour, have them come back. They already have a clean tampon put in. And, uh, and then you instill. This is the key portion, too. Um, you have to instill that blue dye, methane blue, whatever you use, in the bladder. You do that through a catheter. You do it. Don't have the nurse. If it is your nurse, someone you trust, because if not, you're not going to understand what you have. Um, if the tampon is, you know, full of blue, only blue, well, you know it's coming from the bladder. If there's any suspicion for orange, purpleness, anything like that, you have to uh, now a high index of suspicion for ureteral. It doesn't end there. If you have the index for ureteral, you want more testing. And here is when, you know, uh, if you're not able to do a good exam in the office, you don't feel comfortable because she's very... Uh, she has a lot of discomfort, stress. Uh, well, do this stoscopy exam under anesthesia in the um, OR, especially if you're considering investigating the uterus. You can do our retrograde there. You can call your colleague. Uh, if something spontaneous, prior history of UAN cancer. They'll do a vaginoscopy. They'll do whatever they need to do, get some curatage. Uh, if there's a uterus, they will get some um, cells from there too still not satisfied, or you think there is a ureteral injury, well, now you have to find it. Um, those uh, retrogrades, sometimes you can miss them. Um, this goes by, um, you know, index of suspicion. Why? Well, it's been documented about 12%, you know, up to 15 sometimes, a patient with vesicovaginal fistula will have a ureteral fistula as well. So if you have a VVF, at least you have to do a retrograde bilateral or get a CT euro. Why is a CT cystogram necessary? Well, sometimes it's necessary because you won't find the defect otherwise. There is some vaginal pulling, but it's underwhelming. Uh, she actually is able to urinate. You're even thinking there's, you know, maybe retropubic, ah, it's not that bad. 
you can't find it. Is she, uh, she making it up? No. Well, at that point is when you order a CT system. You have to identify the fissure. While you're there, you're getting the abdomen, the CT scan, get abdomen and pelvis, okay? Um, you want to look for those kidneys. You want to look the entire uterus. Um, while you're looking at the kidneys, look at the parenchyma. If you have a ureteral, um, in, you know, fascia, a, a ureteral fascia, you want to see what kind of kidney you have up there, what kind of unit. Uh, I don't think a, a nuclear medicine scan is needed here, but I can evangelize the case where you have someone with significant morbidity, age, radiation, and not a very good kidney on that side, a good kidney on the other side, and the only thing she has is a ureteral uh, fistula and no other thing. Um, and the fractomy, it's always something you are going to consider, okay, um, as an option. Not that I would go for that, but if you, if you, doing, if you individualize, you will find a case for everybody. So here's a case where I have a CT cystogram that was performed. When you're looking at CT cystograms, look at this lateral view. Um, the defect here is quite large. I'm impressed they ordered this study. Um, they probably, um, this is the, the, the CT cystogram portion, um, but they were looking at the ureters perhaps here. Um, when you see a large orifice, this may not be needed, okay? Unless you are doing a CT urogram. And if you think you can get a weight with the CT cystogram portion with a CT urogram, no, you're wrong. Because it will just go be by gravity and sometimes you don't see the totality, the fullness of the bladder. Remember a CT cystogram, after a foley has to be put in. If bladder is filled by gravity, you want at least, you know, 150, 200, 250. Uh, everybody's gonna be a little, you know, a little, a little bit different. But if you just go by a CT, with the excretory phase of the urogram, that's only you know one shot in the pelvis, maybe two if you're lucky, you're gonna miss things. If you look at Campbell's, um, well, they do it very nicely, uh, but I repeat, these algorithms don't cover all vasovaginal fascia, okay? So you can look at them up, uh, you know, it's, they, they're very straightforward, they even, ask you to consider if it is really tiny one. You can fulgurate, you can leave a catheter if it is a fresh injury, divert, it may heal on its own. Um, if it is something uh, with history of radiation, large, well, you're gonna have to wait, you're gonna have to, um, you know, divert, further investigate and, and, uh, and repair in, in, in later. And here is the, uh, here is the example, um, you know, the kind of cases you will be referred, um, Likely if it is something easy, well, something easy may be um, addressed in the community. If you are taking other more complex cases, they'll send you one that they have obstruction. And you know, there's obstruction. Well, there's gonna be hydro. Um, sometimes they don't label it or they don't have the hydro. You have to look for it. So you can have a vasovaginal fistula with some hydro, uh, maybe no drain, some fluid there. It's post of day nine. You have to have a high index of suspicion. Um, it, it, if they're out of the surgery recently and you don't find the abnormal is not convincing and there's not a lot of imaging, repeat imaging, best suspicious look for everything. So here's when it comes, when you're doing an RPG, you see a, um, an extravasation of urine, should you put a, a stent? Of course, of course you should put a stent. Um, but, but then it comes down to, okay, once I put a stent, well, after six weeks, then you can take out the stent and interrogate again. Uh, it may heal that way. 
If you're not able to put a stent or this is more complex, you have a contracted small uh, bladder, uh, well, here's when you start thinking outside the box and considering IR to place PCN. Um, we're talking about ureteral reconstruction, ureteral disease, and you know it's presenting to you with fluid in the pelvis, perhaps an additional concomitant vasovaginal fistula as well. But here's when you know this this becomes an art. It's not just the VVF. Uh, this could be a really complex patient, and, and here maybe you're looking into a, a bladder augment or or cystectomy. Uh, if there's history of uh, you know cervical radiation and major damage and prior surgeries, and maybe maybe it's not worthwhile the 75-year-old woman uh, try to, you know, give her an augment and have her cath or things like that. She may not even be a surgical candidate. So goal when you're doing the diagnosis, identify number location, suspicious of uh, if you have a bladder injury, look at the ureter. If you have hydro, definitely investigate both ureters. So um, not everything is urogyne or FPMRS nowadays. Um, well, for the rectal urethral, I think with the rug you'll be able to do it. Um, if it is a diverticular disease, um, and of course we do the rug, hopefully you have uh, access to a fluoroscopy room in the office. Um, if not, you can do it in the OR. For, um, again, Crohn's um, history of, uh, prior colon cancer or no prior history of colon cancer, no, no prior history of colonoscopy, you want to refer those patients for colonoscopy. Um, these fistulas, you know, colon or small bowel, small bowel is very rare, but you have colon to a bladder, you know, likely history of the particular disease. Again, if not, work with your colorectal, likely they will do their surgery and they may have you on standby. Sometimes they don't even need you. If there's a small injury in the bladder, they can fix it. Um, other places they may want you to uh, do the multi-layer repair. For um, other types of fistulas, again like I was saying before, these are paraplegic uh, or quadriplegic. You can do rock, cystogram, bala, retrogrades, you can do all that in the office sometimes or take them to the OR and do a good exam under anesthesia. If the office doesn't have the right equipment, the right setting for these type of patients with hoi lifter and everything else, um, Consider PCNs, of course, if uh, you know you need to divert the urine. It's gonna come down to principles of management and, and sometimes getting the urine out of the way is what you want. Uh, like they remove, uh, you know, they do colostomy for us when you have a, a large um, rectal injury, uh, prior history of um, radiation on a salvage perspective you may be doing, you're gonna colostomy. So same way here. Um, Eurovascular, um, well, my two cents on Eurovascular is uh, you can, you know, it depends on what the algorithm is in your place. I would say that if somebody is coming and has a iliochondrite and the ostomy is full of blood, um, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to send them for an angiogram. You want them to fix them. And um, you want vascular to be on board in case they have to stent them. Uh, but sometimes you have to be there because they do the CT angiography or the CT or just the regular angiogram, and be ready with vascular to, um, to, to intervene, but they don't see anything. And how many times we, these patients have to come in before we, um, we see them. So sometimes you have to be doing a cystoscopy, moving the stand, provoking maneuvers. Um, you know, you don't want to do it in the office. You want to do it in the right setting. So therapeutic ma management. Um, Again, 
it comes down to the main goal of identifying the fascia track or tracks. Again, um, I think it could be worse than it could be that little one you're looking. Uh, it's posterior to the trigon. It was after a prolapse repair. They didn't use mesh, or it was a hist, and it's right there posterior. When you do an exam in the office, it's uh, not too apical. You actually can reach and, um, and you feel confident you can do a, a good repair. She's 45 or 50. Uh, the tissue is uh, very good and transvaginal repair should be the, uh, should be the way. Well, again, um, you know, rule out uterine injury and uh, look at the entire um, history. Talk with the patient about goals. Is when it's very important how long you wait. And if you want the magic recipe, well, you cannot wait forever, but it's, you know, of course, if you're gonna fall grade, leave a catheter in there. If there was a recent surgery and you can get in within the week, uh, let's say there was a hysterectomy and you diagnose this within a week, you can go back and do open laparoscopic procedure, you know, we do it open, but you know, depending on your skills, within a week you can go back. After that week, ten days, two weeks into, you cannot go back in. Um, you could do vaginal. I would do. I would do wait uh, six weeks before I do a transvaginal attempt of repair if there's no history of radiation, of course, straightforward, no no ureal injury. Um, you have to again individualize the case. I think what would be the cases you would wait three months or more. Uh, well, history of radiation, open surgery, urinoma, infection, sepsis, so on and so forth, drains put in, um, not to say bowel village, right? Uh, multiple prior surgeries before that, uh, well, definitely you want to wait sometimes even six months. Um, you have to understand patient expected goals, but you have to teach and spend time with the patient because every patient is going to tell you, I want to keep my bladder and I want to be dry. Well, not that easy. That's where, you know, this is where the, the key is sitting down and, and understand what is best for them by individualizing the case. Principle of management and surgical repair, I'm gonna fly them. I think you can find them on, uh, on Kimball's, but you know, uh, this is it. I, again, they don't put here mental healthcare status and setting, social setting, but it comes down to nutrition, eliminate infection, divert, or resolve obstruction. Uh, if you have a ureal obstruction, you know, you're lucky if you put a stent, uh, but then you may have to divert. And then we're talking about ureal stricture disease. If you have a stent, you may, if you were the one who did a retrograde, and that retrograde is um, just recent and has a history of uh, five years, radiation was performed for cervical cancer or something like that, radiation damage can also um, advance over time. You want to repeat, again, please memorize this. You want to repeat all the uh, imaging uh, diagnostic uh, you know, testing you're doing because if you're thinking you're going to do surgery in three months, the one centimeter or less than one centimeter urethral stricture that was very distal that you could do with a simple urinary cystostomy, maybe a, a source hitch, well, that's not going to be the case anymore. History of radiation. Uh, good, good luck mobilizing the bladder. Um, what kind of function physiology behind uh, is that bladder? I don't know. You may need urodynamics. 
So is now the right time? Well, you're not gonna do his surgery right now. There's a fascia there. Uh, well, wait. You can do all the diagnostic testing now. Diagnose what you have. Improve patient quality of life. If they need a nephrostomy tube, a stent, a Foley catheter, and then when the time comes for a surgery, you have to repeat the cystogram perhaps or investigate that ureter to understand where they, how long, and where the ureteral structure is. You don't want any surprises or being doing, um, you know, you know, it doesn't reach or a body flap that simply won't reach because the bladder is small from prior radiation. And, and then you have a bladder that is wide open. So no surprises here, you cannot afford that. Um, that's why I put here divert urine well stand. Sometimes a PCM will do a better job if you have urinal disease. You have to maximize urinary drainage. You may get lucky, you put a stent, you may just heal, pull it out at six weeks. We can talk further on uh, how do you do that test when you pull out the stent. Uh, rule out cancer disease, uh, well, uh, in the, oh, you know, in, in the, almost all cases you want to rule out cancer disease. Principal surgical repairs, they're all here, you know, from watertight closure, multi-layer closure, tension-free, so on and so forth, don't, um, you know, protect that tissue. So what are the surgical alternatives? Uh, it's going to come down to... Um, transvaginal repair, transvesical, or transperitoneal. Um, I think in everybody's mind, if you do this for a living, either you've done more than one a year, or you're FPMRS trained, or you are the urology solo that lives, you know, in the main area, or in an area that, you know, you, you cover a lot of patients, you'd be comfortable doing this. Well, a transvaginal repair should be on your armamentarium as long as you were, um, you know, adequately trained and you see, you saw this. Um, it's going to come down to a good dissection handling of tissues, and that's what we do, you know, in uh, in principle. Uh, if you are able to circumscribe, circumscribe and go around that urinary tract fistula, you want to put either a ureal access catheter, a wire, or sometimes even a 10 French Foley, you can put through it so you can get, you know, a, a good grab of it. Uh, grasp. Uh, another way, instead of circumscribing, you can do an inverted U-flap. Uh, you can do, a, you know, instead of going around and, and do things a little bit difficult, you can simplify everything and, and simply, um, you know, last the procedure. Well, what, what is that? You will be um, kind of um, creating a space so that you will dissect and almost hide that um, urinary tract fistula and then with the with the nice healthy tissues you will simply um you know imbricate this and, and and close it um when to use one versus the other when again comes down to principles and what you are mostly comfortable with vaginal surgery in urology residency is not something we do a lot at least i didn't do it in my program then I took the, uh, the, my fellowship and I got comfortable. But some of you are exposed and, and I think you can do this, you know, you can circumscribe or do an inverted U, maybe no Alaska. Um, do you actually have to get the urinary tract? No, if, if you get that fistula tract, you will make the hole that was, I don't know, six millimeters, five millimeter, um, you know, 10 French if you put that Foley or six French if you put that ureal axis catheter. If you excise it, you'll make it bigger. So you don't have to get it out unless there's cancer. If there's cancer, well, then you have the 
you have to involve the cancer guys and then likely you're doing a uh, you're removing an organ <laughs> so you want to make sure there's no there's no cancer here so that's why uh, you know in my view there's no reason uh what to um you know to remove the the fistula tract other people may think uh, you know different there's controversial definitely but you can be safe if you bore your ask you're just gonna dissect hide uh, separate um, if you have some tissue in between uh, like a, like some flap what kind of flaps can you use well if you're doing transvaginal surgery the marshes flap uh, is something that you know we, we would do often um, you depending if you're working at the apex and you get into the peritoneum to transvaginally, you can use peritoneum. Uh, you can use sometimes uh, omentum if you are, um, you know, if you can get them from there, depending on how omentum is going to be. Uh, gracilis flap, if there's history of radiation, something more complex, um, I'm just going to put it there. When would you do a transvascular repair? Transvascular repair is usually when the transvaginal first time didn't work or the vagina is too short, too much atrophy. Um, this fistula, is right behind the trigon. Uh, you know you could do a fanning still and not get into the peritoneum. Um, and you've done it before because you've done re-implants that way and, and you do full vaginal slings, meaning autologous fascia, bladder neck slings, and you're familiar with the anatomy. So yeah, go for it. Uh, small incision over the bladder, you get down to the fistula, uh, try to circumscribe close the vagina first and then you close your um your um your bladder layer um there's not going to be sometimes you can get you know there's not going to be a lot of uh, flaps you can use here since you have no access to the uh, peritoneum when would you use a transperitoneal repair well definitely if the, you have urinal disease uh, you have a contracted bladder um when you know maybe a, just a fan and steel not getting into peritoneum is gonna you know, he's gonna, he's gonna help you. Uh, once you've attempted a transvaginal repair, and it's not a must that you need to attempt a transvaginal repair. If somebody has urinal disease, you don't have to do this. If the vagina is too short, or there's prior history that was complex surgery before, you don't have to do this. Um, here's when you wanna consider if this person needs a bladder augment, can you use an omental flap, rectus abdominis flap, gracilis flap. Well, other alternatives. Don't forget, if we're talking about urethral disease, you may want to consider an nephrectomy. Individualize the case. Uh, you may want to consider a diversion. Why? Sometimes you don't need to attempt three times before you do a diversion. The person may be 70s, maybe on diapers. You're maybe talking about two centimeter uh, orifice, prior cervical cancer, contracted vagina, not sexually active. Um, you know, uh, you can go straight forward to uh, you know and move and not uh, not consider not contemplating doing a, a repair um, if you this is what you do you have a good background here um, you can defend this go for it if you are just doing one bicycle vaginal repair a year well no i don't think doing a, a diversion is gonna you know be the best for the patient you need to get some judgment here and some uh, cases behind you and be uh, specialized here uh, but if you attempted once or twice, you referred, and the referring provider who is uh, more trained said, yes, you need a diversion. Well, then she can go back to you and you can do the diversion. We're not here to steal patients. So that will cover um, you know, the majority. I think we have uh, 12 minutes. I can either do a case or leave it off for questions, whatever is more useful for you. 
Thanks so much, Dr. Roma. I think uh, probably a case would be great. We have a few questions, but they'll mm -hmm. all be posted online. And yeah, so I think can I can cover the case pretty quickly. Great. And this is this is real life. So, 30-year-old female. This could be my wife, of course. You know, back in the day, my wife is not that young anymore. She's still be here. Uh, she's uh, at that time. This patient was G2P1, and uh, she had a C-section that went wrong. Uh, start bleeding. Uh, we were called. I was not called. It was uh, somebody else on call. Um, and hey, could you investigate that ureter? We've had to put a lot of sutures. Sometimes they'll be blunt, and I'll tell you that. I hope there's that relationship. Sometimes it's just like, oh, we're concerned about the right or the left. Due diligence. Do a cystogram and do bilateral ureter uh, RPGs. But we're only concerned about the left. It doesn't matter. Call for the CR, come down, talk with the gynecologist, make sure the patient is doing well, is getting transfused, whatever he needs. If it's a C-section, they're getting transfused, something, you know, these are high, high, um, you know, um, level of stress cases. You're there just to do this. But but these guys been sweating, um, you know, blood. And I'm talking about the surgeons. There may be sometimes the three surgeons from Gyne trying to uh, stop the bleeding. Um, when you go in, there's still maybe a fan still. Uh, sometimes you see something that is like, whoa, the crosser, and then there's a fan still, and there's a midline going up. It's unbelievable. So this is what happened here. We did a retrograde. I think it's pretty evident. She's uh, obstructed. We asked to remove the sutures. They removed the sutures, and then the ureter, it was nicely and flowing. Uh, we said, hey, are you going to continue to to work? Yes, because she's bleeding. Do you mind coming back? Well, we wouldn't like to, but you want to stand? No. A stem was left in place because they would be working there and bleeding. That's a good option. I, I would just leave a double J. You know, you can leave a temporary stent. You know, you're going to come back. What happens? Uh, two hours after or three, um, got a lot of blood loss. Um, now you can see a book, Walter. Um, there's a medline in there, and there's definitely a dilated ureter. Um, now you're leaving, uh, you know, the stent. If it was not there, now you're leaving it for sure. You're investigating the other side. The other side looks good. You're doing a cystogram. Uh, cystogram shows no, no fistula, no nothing. Okay, you move on. Patient actually is discharged on post of day five, but she comes back on post of day 13 with fever, flank pain, pilo. You know, she's young. She's not like, uh, you know, hypertensive, but, you know, she's septic. And as you can see here, there's a fistula. Again, look at the, um, this was a CT cystogram, a CT urogram they did. Um, look at the flank. And uh, hey, the cervix is here. This is the vagina. So normally, all the apical ones are going to be right here. I hope you can see the arrow. This is a uterovesicle. This is a big deal. She's 30. So uterovesicles, the board answer, is you have to consider a hysterectomy at the time of fixing. Now, can you spare the uterus? Yes, you can spare it, but you, know, you may not have such a good result. Uh, there's a lot of blood that went on here, and um, you know, all in all, we don't see large uh, you know hematomas here. Then, when you look at the stent, don't just say, "Oh, that side has a stent." No, investigate. As you can see, I had to play with the contrast. It looks suspicious. It looks like they, I didn't see an extrav, or they didn't talk about an extrav. I wasn't there to do the RPG. There was a stent. Maybe they not even investigated. They just left the stent in there. So these are the things you have to look at. Again, look at all the. Uh, all the um, all the pictures, and there's definitely extra on top here. This is the stand. So you think something happened at the level of the ureter and also uh, at the level of the bladder. So again, a utero vesicle, 
and possible or very likely, uh, you know, ureteral injury. Be aware of the, um, you know, of the uh, of the words you use. I would just call it um, ureteral extravasation of contrast. That's it. That's what it is. Nobody's gonna judge you for doing that. And here it looks like utero vesicle uh, fistula. So what do you do about this? Um, any further tests or interventions? Well, here we have a stent. When you want to operate this patient, this is not a patient you're going to bring in six weeks. This is not a patient you're going to do transvaginal, at least not me. Uh, someone who a lot of experience behind their hands and who does that for a living, it could, it could say that. Uh, I simply did not feel comfortable. I presented it here at the conference. We have other three people who do this for a long time, and they told me, yes, Paolo, the, the, the right thing to do is to do it open. We waited at least three months. We, I did an RPG uh, retrograde. I talked to her. Here's where you individualize the patient. She wanted that stent out so much that, uh, of course, she had a Foley for the fascia. that when I did the retrograde, you can see it doesn't look normal, but there wasn't any extra. So here you can argue both ways. You could say, hey, I'm pulling the stent. I'm putting a, a PCN and leaving you with a nephrostomy, and we'll investigate that later. She did not want a PCN. She did not want a stent. This thing looks open, no extra. I said, okay, I'm going to do an ultrasound in two weeks and check you. And, uh, and then, you know, you live close by, you're reliable. And, and she did well. Um, there was no major hydro. There was no hydro whatsoever. And uh, so I left her without a stent. You could say, this is wrong. There's definitely disease here. You can leave a stent. Uh, this will be on, you know, depending on, they're not going to give you, they're doing a board exam, it's going to be all or nothing. What kind of repair? Well, I think nobody would have said, you know, transvaginal, and if so, it's because we've done a lot. But um, I think here, transvesical, also not a good option. You have to do transperitoneal. As you can see, we opened the bladder, the Foley is in there. This is the uterus that was going by down. It was, uh, you know, it was not injured, but it was close to all this area. And when I had to, um, when I identified the, uh, the fasciolus tract, it was too close. Maybe I could have been lucky and I could have uh, closed the fistula, but I think I would have, by closing the fistula, I would have uh, approximated or compromised the ureter and I would have created a kink of the ureter, which, you know, it's ureters for a living. So no, I said, I prepare her. This is not a surprise. I said, we're going to re-implant the ureter if necessary. And that's what we did. When we're closing this, we also put replacement sutures and uh, we brought some momentum down. Of course, if she wants to have another child, she already has two. She wanted to keep her uterus. It was preserved. It was spared. And um, she just needs to know if she's going to have another C-section. Hopefully not. The last one didn't go very well. Um, her uterus is running anteriorly. So you want to communicate all these things, you know, to the patient. So in the event she has another surgery, gynecologic surgery, they're aware of the, um, of the urinary cystostomy. Follow-up. Well, you need to do a... Um, a cystogram, period. Uh, whether you do it at two weeks, three weeks, this is not the same patient. This is just an example of how subtle these things are. This is a cystogram I did uh, just uh, on Friday, someone with radiation and intraperitoneal uh, yeah, um, perforation after an X-lap, uh, you know, colonic resection, very um, deconditioned patient. She was not a candidate to going back, the right answer. Every time you have intraperitoneal extra bladder injury, you have to do an X-lab. She just had an X-lab uh, of days or 15 days ago when she was sent here. 
uh, we monitor her closely, but given her history of radiation, of course she has a ureteral injury, solitary acquired kidney, and I guess it gets better. Uh, and after four weeks of leaving a Foley in there, they're still, you know, extra. So I'm not sure I can rescue this one. It's either gonna be an augment. I don't think she's a material for an augment. She's just gonna be like this for some time until she allows me to do a, you know, a cystectomy in a diversion, unfortunately. Now, yes, any questions? Great, thank you so much, Dr. Remo, for an awesome talk. Uh, we have a few questions. Uh, I actually have a follow-up question for your case. Uh, for a vesico utero fistula, uh, other than the risks for the following pregnancy, what are the other risks that come with keeping the uterus? Um, you said it was a very bad idea. Or it could exactly. Be so one is uh, the, the, the parity afterwards. But the problem here is actually comes down to the dissection. So you go in and try to separate the uterus and the cervix, and the cervix and the vagina is right there where your bladder is. You're going to get into bleeding. Um, the risks are massive bleeding afterwards. Um, the other one would be a, uh, you know, not that you're going to promise her that she's going to be fertile, but it certainly could be infertility. Um, and then besides the hematoma, infection with the hematoma, uh, a persistent um, fistula, because after the bleed, there's ischemia, doesn't heal well. Uh, and then you have to go back in again. And uh, as I said before, you want to go in there once and never again. Uh, when you go in the second time after the first repair, trying to spare the uterus, you know you're going to remove the uterus a second time. And you talk about an anterior, you know, exenteration. And, and of course, you this person is young. You're not talking about removing any bladders. But you want to save that. But if there's a lot of bladder compromise, then the second time you're thinking about an augment, which was never on the... On the um, on the scenario the first time. Great, thank you. I think we have time for one more question. Uh, yeah. This question, uh, for a vesicle uh, vaginal fistula diagnosed early postoperatively, and if you, have, if you are able to diagnose it on cystogram mm. or cystoscopy, is there any scenario where you would plan for conservative management or would you always plan to surgical? Okay. I and mean, what would those scenarios? Yeah, that's a very good question. I would say no. After a C-section or a hysterectomy, if they call you, is because that gynecologist already tried to wait. He did everything. So the right thing to do is to go back. You, I would say you have 10 days to go back. After 10 days, when I draw the line, um, you could say seven days. Fine with me. Um, history of multiple surgery, radiation, multiple C-sections. Um, you could go alone. You can have the guy behind you. I've been there a couple of times. And... Um, Things don't look normal after a C-section. That uterus is still big on post of day nine. Um, I think uh, if you're gonna go back, have the gynecologist be there with you. Um, you know, I think the right thing to do would be going back. If you wanna wait, there's nothing wrong with that. You're just gonna have to wait the three months close to that. Great. And the uh, so. cystogram, I guess, is what you wanna have. Even if you do a cystoscopy, get a cystogram, it could be CT, it could be just with x-ray pleural. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Learn more by visiting our website, urologycovid.ucsf.edu.